Hey, what's up, Surf Splendor listeners? Always good to be back with you. This is David Scales, of course. And uh, today, bring you an episode of Surf News, getting you caught up from the last two weeks of everything that's happened in the world of surfing and prepping for the Fiji Pro, the men's Fiji Pro. The women took place, so congrats to Sally Fitzgibbon. Really, really remarkable performance um, by a lot of the ladies, actually. I thought it was kind of a turning point event. But Scott and I will get into that in today's show. And um, we're kind of in the holding pattern for the men's event. And it's like day three or four of the, the waiting period. Had nothing but lay days. But looks like swells on tap. Nothing massive, but definitely, definitely contestable. And it should be good, actually. So we have that to look forward to, and we'll break it all down in today's show. Just wanted to say thank you for tuning in. Thank you for rating and reviewing the show in iTunes. We um, just kind of figured out recently, believe it or not, after two years, that you can't, it doesn't appear that you can rate and review the show in your iPhone app, but you can do it on your desktop computer. Um, you just have to log into iTunes, and then you can rate and review it there. So Thank you to the listener who figured that one out and uh, let me know of that issue. And I think that's it. Just follow us on social media at Surf Splendor and continue the conversation there. Give your thoughts about this show and past shows. And then, of course, on SurfSplendorPodcast.com. You can leave comments and check out all of the ancillary content that accompanies this episode. Photos, videos, videos. music all the playlists from every single episode check all that stuff out all right enjoy today's show i'll be back at the end to sign us off thanks yeah guy welcome everybody down the line surf talk radio scott bass david scales with you on this tuesday June 9th, 2015, and David, I started us off with some Almond Brothers, a band that's near and dear to your heart and to my heart. It's been way too long since we've heard any Almond Brothers on this show, man. <laughs> this is actually the, uh, the intro song to the show for a number of years when we were on terrestrial radio down in San Diego. Yeah, awesome. So brings back memories. Yeah, no, I mean, you... For a while there, you were singing their praises every single episode, even when there was no reason to or no no connection to the show. But it's like you haven't talked about them in a year. I thought that you guys had a falling out or something. No, I just finished the Dwayne Allman biography called Sky Dog. Okay. Read that. And Greg Allman is going to be at the Del Mar Fairgrounds June 12th, I think, or June 18th, something like that. Are you, are you going? Um, You know, I'm thinking about it. It seems There's like also he's... an Almond Brothers tribute band that's playing in Carlsbad on June thirteenth. How about the Rolling Stones playing the Belly Up like a month oh ago? Oh my god, that how was, was that? Man, that was crazy, dude. Did you know anybody who went? Well, I did. And I was going to interview a guy and put it on the back end of this show, this particular episode, but uh-huh. um, he he flew to South Africa. But so my friend, um, so the Belly Up Tavern is this really cool small little place in Southern California in Solana Beach. Right there in San Diego County, um, and and it's a very iconic place. It's 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 held. You know, th- there's been great concerts by great performers there for forty years. Right, and it 
it's on Cedros Avenue, which is this industrial complex. But and in fact, it's where Surfing's New Image and Surfports Hawaii used to be right next to the Belly Up Tavern. Well, now it's grown up into this like uber kind of clicky, artsy, you know. It's arts district. Yeah, it's the yeah. arts district. So it's really gotten high rent. And but the Belly Up's still there and it's an, it'll be there forever, we hope. But anyway, so the Rolling Stones, after they performed in San Diego at Petco Park, there was, you know, buzz on the street that the Rolling Stones were performing a private concert at the Belly Up Tavern. The Belly Up Tavern holds about 600 people max. I didn't even think it was that many. Well, you want, you really only want 400, 450 okay. people there. That's the perfect size, you okay. know, for a band and everything. And um, in fact, that's how many were there at the Stones concert, 450 people. So it wasn't like jam-packed sardines. But yeah, the Rolling Stones played a private event for a Rancho Santa Fe um, multimillionaire who, who, it's my understanding that he was basically just, it's, it was his second wife's birthday and he just, you know, called the stone. However, he, you know, these guys have connections and he got the stones to play for two and a half million dollars. That's what the price was? Yeah, two and a half million dollars. Oh my gosh. And um, they went out there and they, they did great. So my friend is the IT manager oh, okay. at the Belly Up. And I was Facebooking him. I'm like, and I even saw on Facebook, he's like, I can't even get in and I'm the IT manager, you know? Okay. So he didn't even know. But about five o'clock that afternoon, he gets a call from the general manager of the Belly Up. And the general manager's like, hey, man, we're having a problem with our IT. We, know we can't get internet. We need you to come in. So he drives over to Solana Beach. He's got to park way far away. There's security everywhere. There's these big, you know, like fifth wheel tour buses. There's like seven of them behind the Belly Up Tavern. He's got to walk in from three three blocks away. He walks through the crowd, gets to the Belly Up. There's like five or six different levels of security just to get through to see the general manager. He gets through all these five levels of security, you know, calling him, going, I'm here. He finally gets through the general manager and he's at the back door of the belly up where all the stones guys are all the, and, and the belly and the general manager's like, well, it's not really our internet, but it's these guys internet, the stones, Mick Jagger, Keith Richards, these guys, they're, they're tour buses. They're having problems getting Wi-Fi, and they want to get online. So my guy gets to go into Mick Jagger's fifth wheel trailer and fix Mick Jagger's internet. Unbelievable. Yeah. And um, he said that, you know, he, he saw Keith Richards. He walked past um, Ronnie Wood. They, you know, he obviously didn't interact with any of them. Hmm. Um, but he took about 45 minutes to get their internet up and running, and they were all stoked. And then he was so deep into the security, the general manager was like, you know what, you're here now. You might as well just stay for the show. Hmm. And so he just said it was mind-bendingly insane, like super good set list. And they played you know, just with as much energy and fire as any concert yeah. you've ever seen them at. And uh, well, I know Rob Machado is there too. Those are the, two, I know a couple of other guys, a friend of mine, Jake Brewer got to build out the set and some of the lighting stuff. And he got to be like the spotlight guy up in the thing. So yeah. he got to see the show working it. Cool. And a couple of other friends of mine. Amazing. Yeah. I just crunched the numbers 2.5 million. And if there's 450 people, that's $5,555 per ticket. Yeah. And I heard that guys, it was actually like a $25,000 ticket raising money for some fundraiser oh, on top of that. I figured he just footed the bill. I'm not sure how it worked out, you know, because if you really do the numbers on the show on Sunday evening in San Diego at Petco Park, 
those guys made $300 million. So mm-hmm. like two and a half million, it's kind of like, really, why, you know? But I think a lot of it is, I think they like playing small shows, small venues that keeps them kind of sharp. And Well, $300 million at Petco, that's prior to expenses, I'm sure. Yeah, that's just know, ticket sales gross. I don't gross. know what the net is, but, yeah. you know. Interesting. Wow. Yeah, pretty cool. Pretty rad. Speaking of almond, not to continue non-surf talk, but um, dude, the almond brothers the almond and the Rolling Bros, Stones are connected to surfing. Well, they in some way they're both connected to that documentary Muscle Shoals. Did oh, you yeah. ever see that? I, I did see that. Maybe Thanks we for, talked about it on the you, show. You turned me on to that. What okay. a great sh- yeah, what a great documentary. Phenomenal documentary. Yeah. It's on Netflix streaming. If anybody's interested in just music history, I mean, everybody who's anybody came through Muscle Shoals. Elvis. And, like, yeah, Dwayne Allman was a session guitarist. Yeah. Though. Exactly. So. Yeah, pretty cool stuff. And yeah. then you turned me on to that other great documentary that I turned somebody else on, which is, was it 20 Feet from Stardom? Yeah. That's a really cool documentary about backup singers. Yeah. And there's a lot of Stone stuff in there. And that one Lisa girl, the backup singer. Yep. She's, she's, she was on this tour, by the way. Oh, that okay. Same Lisa girl. Okay. Yeah, I forget her last name, but yeah. real famous backup singer for the stones sweet and then the other one that you turned me on to is the ginger baker one right? yep what's that one called beware again? of mr baker yeah beware of mr baker that's around i've seen it mm-hmm. I've, I've been meaning to get on that yeah that guy's a nightmare man <laughs> <laughs> well oh at any rate i didn't think you took anything i said seriously i'm glad no, to hear I, that you're taking my recommendations i have things i mean we should just start off with this i you know i'm going to give you another pat on the back because, you know, what you've been saying about Kelly all along is that he's not really focused. He's got a lot of shit going on in his life. Those things are probably part and parcel as to why he's not performing well on tour. And I'm sure you saw Kelly's interview on the, the Dawn it. Patrol. It basically said exactly what you break said. It, break it down. I've been saying this for a year, by the yeah. way. But what did he say? He basically, well, the best part, I think the best, um, the best quote out of it was, and I'm sort of butchering it a little bit, but he basically said, I perform on tour relative to how I'm feeling off tour. And if I got a lot of stuff going on in my life, you know, good, bad, indifferent, whatever, but I'm occupied or preoccupied, my performance shows it. And again, I'm paraphrasing a lot here, but that's what I got out of some of his quotes was that, you know, yeah. my performances reflect how I'm feeling or how I'm doing, you know, whether good or bad. Yep. And, um, and so I guess the question is, um, and you might want to break down that interview a little bit more, but the question is, is Kelly still the favorite? Because with John John Florence out and Kelly's unbelievable track record at Cloudbreak, you got to say initially Kelly's the favorite. Um, and so, but you read what, you know, you, you watched his interview and, and, and then the question is, is he still the favorite? Does this put more question marks on, on you, David, as a, as a guy that's really kind of grinding down into into where his mental state is or is this i read this as an interview where it's like you know what i'm admitting that i've been having some off the field for lack of a better phrase issues or just um things that are taking me away from my focus and now i'm telling you that i'm here i'm sitting here i've been getting ribbed and jibed about my bad performance the worst performance at start he's ever had on tour i think yep and um did this interview, and I think it continues today, by the way, did, there was a two parts to that interview. I only saw part one. I, I think there was only part one because that was two days ago and then they had Mick Fanning on yesterday. Oh. So I don't know if they're having Kelly back again today. I thought today. there was a part two. But anyway, um, did, you know, so I, I saw this interview as more like, I'm back, I'm here. If I'm ever going to win, it's going to be now. I'm pretty focused. I'm, I've, and maybe he's cleared away some of the business 
situations that have been preoccupying his mind. Interesting that you feel that way because I felt like everything you said up until that last sentence is true. Like he admitted and said, I've been getting ribbed from people. Um, he admitted that and he goes, look, I'm just going to come out in the open and say it. Everybody's talking about it on the internet behind my back of like, where's Kelly's headspace at? I'm not ignoring it. Yes, that is all true. Um, but I don't feel like he ever rounded that that bend and said, but now I've cleared everything and I'm here and I'm buckling down and I'm coming in hot. He never said that. He just kind of left it at, yeah, my headspace is messed up and I'm not sure why and I this is where I'm at. He didn't say I've got my quiver dialed, I've got things off my plate and now I'm here to compete. He was just like, yeah, dude, my things are all in disarray right now, basically. So I'm saying, I don't think he's going to perform in Fiji. Like, I'll lay it down right now and say, I don't think Kelly's going to show up in Fiji. So did you take him off your team or was he ever on your team? Well, that's a great fantasy question. I had enough money to buy somebody in the 10 million level and it came. No, well, I do have Mick, but it came down to Adriano versus Kelly. And what a dilemma to have, dude. It's like <laughs> my heart is so with Kelly, but my my brain is with Adriano, and he's yeah. performed well on my team thus far. Yeah. He's coming in hot. He's got all the ambition in the world. He's sitting first on the rankings. And then and he got fifth last year. Kelly also got fifth last year. Yeah. So, But Kelly's gotten a lot of wins at Cloud Break, too. So I actually stuck with Adriano. It's a strictly a numbers play for me, um, not a passion play. But one of the things is his quiver. Like Strider talked on a morning show. um, Maybe it was that one. Maybe it was a previous one of just like he sees Kelly in the water and he's seen Kelly's quiver on land and he's in the water and he's like, hey, Kelly, is this that Tomo you're riding? And Kelly's like, no. Oh, well, is it the CI with the artwork on it? No. Which board are you riding? Oh, I'm trying out this other one. And then he takes it back to the boat, switches out for a different board. So it's like Kelly isn't fully sure what direction he's even going you know i think kelly does that a lot though i don't know if and i think kelly's good enough that it does he can ride any board he's so sensitive to his boards that i think he can adjust and find the favorite one and he's just doing that now because he doesn't have a jersey on and when he i think he's got a favorite board like he's got a board he looks at he goes you know what that's old faithful i'm going there see i think that's always been what he does i don't think he has that board right now maybe but i will say this you mentioned that he you know, he didn't come out and say, I'm on fire. I'm ready to go. I'm going to win this event. Well, Kelly would never do that. I, in my opinion, Kelly was always going to hold his cards close to his vest. He wouldn't say that. In fact, he would say the opposite. You know, he's playing, he does Plays play coy. strategic, yeah, mental sort of gymnastics with the other competitors. Um, I do have some quotes regarding what he go said here. He said, when I'm really relaxed doing the right things in my life, everything's coming together in the right way and my results follow. For me, I don't know exactly what it is yet. It will click at some point, I think. Maybe I can scare a couple of guys again. So I read into that like, I'm not going to spill my cards and say I'm fired up and ready to go. Yeah. I'm just going to like put a little question mark in some guys' heads and I'm always ready to go at cloud break. When is he not ready to go at cloud break? You know. Well, that's really funny. Um I, I, your argument makes perfect sense. I guess I'm digging deep, like reading kind of between the lines and just seeing that he doesn't have the confidence that he's had in the past. In the past, he'd say those exact same words, but there was this underlying confidence that I could see where he knew he was going to smash guys. Right now, that underlying thing that I see is a lack of confidence. Mm -hmm. And 
I don't think he can surf like Felipe surfs in small waves. I don't think he can surf like, um, geez, like Owen Wright or, or Gabriel Medina even can surf at medium sized cloud break. I think if it's 10 foot plus cloud break, Kelly's probably the guy to beat out there, I think for sure. But the way that cloud break was last year, where it was like slightly under head high, nobody could beat Gabriel. Gabriel looked unbeatable. And they said this year in the free surfs, they're like, Gabriel was unstoppable out there the last couple of days. And especially trickier waves like restaurants. Dude, I don't know. Kelly's back's against the wall, man. Unless all cylinders are firing, I don't see him pulling it together. He did say this, too, to further quote Kelly Slater. He said, it's either going to click for me here or I'm going to get tired of losing and either quit or win. I've always connected my surfing to my results. Again, that's sort of, and, and right. I'll end the quote there. That's what we were talking about. But um, I, 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 I sense, I, I'll just the overall vibe from Kelly during that interview was just completely relaxed. Completely, it was. It was completely like, I don't really care. I agree. And, and and I'm okay with that. And I know that, you know, you and I have kind of gone back and forth on this, but I like Kelly when he's kind of like, I don't care. Because there's that moment, uh, and I think it was at Cloudbreak or maybe it was Chopu. It was at Chopu in like 05 or 06 when he was comboed by Bruce. It was that, um, what was the, what did he call it? It's called, you know, it, it, the giving up moment or there's some phrase that he used. For okay, it, I don't know. Where remember. anyway, he was comboed by Bruce at Chopu. Bruce had like a nine and a nine eight and Kelly was like, I'm comboed. I have to get two tens. There's nothing I can do here, but just surf and have fun. I'm over it. Or he used some term and it's slipping me now, but it was like the I'm over it moment. Or I don't, I'm just going to letting go is the term. That was letting go. They made a movie called letting go. go. Yeah. So letting go, he just goes, I'm letting go. And he got two tens in that heat combo. He got two tens. That was the one where he did that layback, crazy layback, fall back thing. Yeah. Free fall into yeah. a layback, no hand barrel, pumping through the thing. Right. Yeah. It's two tens and he beats he beats Bruce, you know, and he's comboed, you know, with five minutes left or Right. He got two right, tens right. back to back. And so it's that letting go of sense that I have that I sense that he has now, where he's just like, you know what? I'm over it. What you know, maybe over it's not the right phrase, but I'm just letting go. And he looked like he was but you know, it's hard to say with Kelly. He always looks relaxed and Well, know. I think you're right. His best performances come when he's fully relaxed. All of ours, right? All of our For sure. But I also think that in the past he cared and now he doesn't. And that's the difference for me. Okay. Is that you still have to care. You have to have the inner fire. Now here's the other- anchoring my team. Here's the other thing about this whole scenario is it's not like there's an Andy Irons figure in the mix. There's eight of them. You know, it's not like one guy's that he can focus his attention on and just, and put that guy in his sights and take him down. There's Gabriel winning this event last year and current world champ. Felipe's got everything to prove in the South Pacific. Mick Fanning, by the way, I think Mick's going to win this event, potentially. Mick could win the world title this year. Mick is looking so, his surfing has never looked better. Nobody's really focusing on him. Exactly. Well, you nailed it right there. That's the thing about Mick is he plays, he's so good at just being in the back seat and in the driver's seat and just kind of just like, no one ever really puts yeah. their energy into him. You know, it's either Brazilian Storm or Kelly or, you know, it's just never about Mick. And then right. all of a sudden you come into Hawaii and you're like, all Mick's got to do is get a fifth at high or even yeah. less, you know, and he went and you're like, oh, it's a done deal. You know? Yeah. So I'm really looking for Mick. And then you got Adriano who looks, I mean, he wants to win more than anybody. So I think Owen Wright could be a dark horse in this yeah, event. Like, he I looks like incredible. Yeah. So I, I don't know if you saw on the morning show yesterday, they showed this um, little cartoon illustration from a guy who does a lot of them for Tracks Magazine. 
And it was basically, it's like a one panel comic strip type thing, but it shows the Brazilian storm and all these Brazilians off, you know, in this kind of area. And, um, and then Mick Fanning in the foreground looking at it and some guys talking to Mick and he's like, Whoa, watch out. Are you, how are you going to weather that Brazilian storm? And Mick's quote is just like, looks like steady seas to me, mate. You know, where it's like, everybody's talking about the Brazilian storm, but Mick, it's just like, nope, I've been through this a million times before. I'm just going to go out there and surf like I surf and not worry about any of it and just take guys out. And that's what Mick does. Yeah, I would agree. Mick's dangerous, not only in this event, but throughout the world tour here this year. So you're on to that. I agree with that. So my point is that Kelly, no matter what Kelly thinks he wants to do, there's too many other guys with their own game plan at this point. Mick, I mean, I don't know. Look, how great would it be for the world tour if Kelly Slater wins this event, though? I would love it. I'm not saying I'm, I'm a conspiracy theorist. I don't think Kelly needs any pushing yeah. at all. But if he gets on his game and wins this event, all of a sudden, this is like the craziest year in a long time. It really is. You know, because we just don't have a steady front runner, do we? No. How far ahead is Adriano? Not a lot. So the other big story with this Fiji Pro is all the injuries going into the event. Um, Sippo, Jordy Smith, John John Florence, Michelle Berez, they're replaced by Jay Davies, Eretz Aramburu, Alejo Muniz, and Aka Ravulo, plus the two wild cards, which are Dane Reynolds and another local local trialist. so one of the arguments that it was kind of a little argument that Strider and Martin Potter got into on the morning show was just is going kind of all out in your free surfs harmful or beneficial to your competitive career. And Potter's stance was like, look, these guys need to tone it back in their free surfs so they're a hundred percent for their contest surfing. Strider's like, F that. They need to sort out everything they can sort out in their free surfs so that they're fully primed. You know, how do you know if you can land the biggest alley-oop of your life if you didn't do it two weeks ago? Free surfing, you're not going to try to do it in your contest. I was, I thought it was a pretty interesting debate. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I did see the, the headline on that video. I didn't watch the video. I, I would have liked to have seen it. I, I, I see both sides of it, quite frankly. But um, I think when you're on site at cloud break, I, I tended to favor what Martin Potter's saying. It's a pretty dangerous situation out there. You should have already nailed down these 360 alley-oops or whatever crazy errors you're going to be doing. You should already have these in your repertoire prior to going out there. And Which um, is Strider's point, is you have to go practice this stuff in the off weeks. Yeah, maybe, but but not at, not at Cloud Break or not at restaurants where yeah. there's, there's a lot more to deal with as far as the shallow water and stuff like that. And well, if we're talking injuries, to be on site and to injure yourself in a warm-up is... Is you know which none of these guys it, did. It is a, oh these they, all well, these injuries happened earlier, right? Okay, like Michelle Perez, for example, was in Tahiti surfing a maxed out swell, had a horrific wipeout and broke his hand. Now he can't go to cloud break. So when that swell's coming and you have an off week, do you go to Tahiti and chase those waves? Yeah, at the risk of you know injuring I mean, yourself. I I, th- I just think you do. I just think that I think you do too. You can't be holding back because then then you're playing. It's just. You know, you're sort of your mindset's in a place where, oh my god, I might get hurt. Right. Or, oh my, you know, you're just yeah. not in a in a positive. I'm going. I'm charging. Whatever happens, happens. You know, but but there's also a fine line there. You know, mm-hmm. like you know, if you're if you're expected to be on the world tour and to contend for a world championship, 
you have responsibilities and some accountability, not only to yourself, but to the people around you to be right. Yeah. And I agree with you. I think it's more about headspace than it is about performance. And if you're constantly in the 80% headspace, then you're just going to be filling in the back half of the tour. You know what I mean? It's like, you're going to be in the 20th spot for five or six years. And who gives a crap? Who wants to have that career? I mean, yeah. obviously it's a great lifestyle, but I'm just saying what you really want to do in life, find something you're good at and give it 110%, you know? And I think that's what that's, if you look at the guys who got injured, Jordy Smith, he is that guy. He gives it 110%. Maybe doesn't his contest results don't show it, but he's a flamboyant surfer. John John Florence, you know, Michelle Berez. Certainly. How did uh, Jordy and John John get hurt? Uh, I think Jordy was a knee injury and John John was a high ankle injury from trying to land in air. And, and Jordy was trying to land in air too? I, I don't recall what Jordy's was exactly, mm. um, but I'm pretty sure it was a knee. Yeah. And then um, they're going to fully recover and be back probably for the next event. And then Sippo is a back injury that I know he's been dealing with for years actually. Yeah. So. Well, it certainly is interesting that the guys that are taking these surfers place, these uh, these new wild cards. You know, you mentioned Jay Davies. I Driving in, I wanted to ask you about Jay Davies. Is he somebody that you put on your team? My question is, how many times does he surf cloud break? This is a tough wave to surf. It's not a simple wave. It's uh, They make it look easy, but it's a very difficult wave, especially backside. It's sort of a top tube. You know, there are moments when it goes real wide, but you, it's sort of a pinching top tube, and it's yeah. difficult. You have to pump inside of that narrow little moment, too. Right. You have to drive your board through it. You just can't set your line up there and hope for the best in most situations. Um, well, as much as I love Jay Davies, and I was singing his praises prior to the Margaret River event, uh, I don't really think he's going to perform at cloud break. I don't think you can really make the quarterfinals twice as a wild card. He had his one big shot, and that was at his home break. Not only do I have I never seen him surf cloud break, I've never really seen him go left. You know, like I know there's some lefts in West Oz for sure that are gnarly, but all the footage we've seen of him are at North Point. Yeah. The footage we've seen of him is at North Point, the right at Margaret, and um, the box. So I'm a little apprehensive, but I did put him on my team because it was between, with the amount of money I had, it was between him and uh, Glenn Hall which I actually had first. I think Glenn could do okay, but it was like, you know what? Well, this is one of those waves where the time spent in the water is crucial. Yeah. And and so you you might kind of opt for the Glenn Halls of the world or anybody that's a veteran that's put in a lot of time out at that wave and restaurants for that yeah. matter. It's it's valuable. You know, guys like Freddie P. Right. Like guys like that, Ace Buck and Kai Otten, right. Owen Wright, guys that are, any guys like Matt Banning or who are some other rookies? Uh, Ricardo Christie. Yeah. Keanu Asing. Yeah. Those guys stay way far away from those guys. Yeah. Italo, Farrar, right? Right, right, that right. Any rookies, any guys that have only been on tour for a year, yeah. stay away from them. Right. This is one of those waves. You know, it's funny because Chopu is not one of those. Chopu is a wave where all you got to do is go over the ledge and everyone gets the same ride, basically, mm -hmm. you know. But Cloud Break throws a lot more lumps, a lot more movement. There's this west ball that comes in. If you catch that one and you don't make that section, you're through. You're, you're going to get worked. There's more um, definitely water experience or Cloud Break experience comes into play there, but also just more surfing on the wave. Like you have to negotiate and navigate and figure out your line and adjust your line. And, and as you mentioned, boards are important. Hugely. Really important. Hugely. Which, speaking of which, um, 
You know, I guess we should give a shout out to Sally Fitzgibbons for an incredible performance wow. out there with a busted eardrum. And, wow. And um, she was really charging and she always charges. You know, she's she's a little fireball Tasmanian devil. She's a small little girl. I don't know if you've met her before. No. But she's only she's a small person. You yeah. Know? Like she's not a, especially compared to like Bianca Buttendog. Right. Who sounds like a sounds like a like a, a female evil cartoon character or something yeah like, like the the enemy in a movie or something yeah. um so i agree i watched the women's uh event and i was really impri- uh, really surprised and impressed by their surfing last year they really underperformed i think and kind of dodged a few a lot of barrels and um we're kind of going out to the shoulder and trying to do turns and stuff it was a Maybe it was like equally heavy. There was a few rounds that there were heavy waves in this year, but I thought everybody really stepped it up. Nobody got like a super gnarly barrel, but there were a couple barrels. But more importantly, they were like throwing these massive turns right under the hook, like free fall dropping, knifing a bottom turn, going right back into it, like comboing the crap out of it. And there was a lot of girls. I thought Laura Enever looked phenomenal um bianca Batendog, as you talked about she made the final she looked really really comfortable out there and then sally busted her eardrum in an early round and the doctors advised her to not serve her next heat but she did she just wrapped the thing up went out there and got two nines and she was getting nines almost in every single heat so i thought pretty heroic performance on sally's part um did you notice? I don't know. Did you watch the event or just the highlights? Or I watched the I watched the semis. I watched some of it. You know, I watched the finals. They didn't have any commercials through the event. Oh, I didn't notice which that. I thought was really weird. They would go to commercial break, and then they would just have like a placeholder, um, you know, that said Fiji Pro, right. yeah, commercial break or something. We'll yeah. be back soon. And they would run it, and, they, and normally they run three 30-second commercials. They basically ran that three times. So it would run on a loop with like a wave in the background, and then it would end, and then they'd run it again for 30 seconds, and then they'd run it again for 30 seconds and come back. So I thought, like, did they just not have sponsor dollars for this event for the women? Apparently not. Yeah. If they did, they would have taken care of their sponsor. So Weird. That's, yeah, weird might not be the right word food um, for thought like on what direction from a fan's perspective it's you know a little scary right totally because i mean you would think i mean we've talked about on the show like the women's event arguably women's surfing is more marketable than men's surfing you know so um kind of strange yeah that's too bad i'm hopefully they'll um, their sales team will get get it going and they'll they'll get up to speed but um in the fantasy surfer realm for the women, um, I'm overall I'm I'm, num- I'm number one overall in the clubhouse. <laughs> Your I just fantasy run- women's surf team yeah. ratings. Yeah, is that what you're going to give us right now? Yes, I am. Oh my God. You wish that you were involved. No, I do not, not savvy enough to play this game. <laughs> oh God, um, there's eight. There's eight competitors or whatever. No, actually, there's nineteen thousand. No, in, but in the-, the whole club, in the whole. Um, Fantasysurfer.com thing. No, but I mean, how many women's? girls are on the tour? Like 12 or something? No, come on. I don't dude. know. Well, there's, we have, um, I, I'm number one in the clubhouse, uh, of which we have 242 members, but there's 19,000 total people playing, and I'm 29th overall. 
I'm super proud. Give <laughs> oh me, God. give me it. You dude. should see David's eyeballs lighting up like, dude, like he just won the lottery. Or I'm something. going for first. Okay. Well, I would expect nothing less. But, uh, <laughs> but, oh um, but I didn't actually win this event. Oliver S won this event with a whopping 930 points. So Oliver S. Oliver S. You should be proud of yourself. Yes. Um, there is a big swell expected Friday through the weekend yep. at, at cloud break. And then another one that they're tracking that they think could be as big. So this is a good sign that we'll have a lot of swell at cloud break and hopefully the right winds for there. Um, did you see the pictures on Instagram? I think it's road soda. Yeah. It's follow? surfing magazine. Is that surfing magazine? Yeah. They have two accounts, but that's one of them. And they're, and they're just partying like animals. Like there's video of Dane Reynolds doing shots, like some sort of, you know, there's like the, the Tavaru or Nomotu Island drink. I don't know what it's called, a big foo-foo or whatever. But anyway, they're, they've got um, diving masks and a diving snorkel and they're pouring this drink and they're getting just slobbered drunk. It's like a beer bong. Yeah, it's kind a of beer thing. bong thing yeah. on Nomotu. And they show Adriano and Dane Reynolds and a whole crew of guys getting hammered. Um, <laughs> is that something that professional athletes do? Like when you go to the French Open, do you think like Djokovic is like hanging out? Like I don't. No, like, they don't. But um, is this okay? I mean, it's okay by me. It's okay by you. Yeah, it is. I don't think Dane's gonna win the event. No, and but that, I mean, prof- I mean, professional surfing athletes. Like, right? Do you think that this is like? I, I, I know that. Look, as surfers, God knows we've all done these things. Yeah. But I'm talking about professional athletes, I professional get surfers. Like, is, is this what like indie car drivers do? Right. Like, I'm not. I think f- I think jockeys might do that. I think I've heard that jockeys get together and have ragers. Here's the deal. I'm not offended if they do it. I'm not offended. I'm asking you: Is it something that professional surfing should? If you were their handlers, if you were managers of these guys, would you be like? Yeah, you know what? Maybe the spawn. Maybe you know. It, 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 here, what, is this something? What you are you want, trying even to? Even if they do it, is this something you want to put out in the public sphere? Here's my answer to that question: Is what do you want to do with your career? If you're Mick Fanning, you're definitely not doing that because he, he was pouring it. <laughs> exactly, because he he's involved. competing against Dane in round one. Yeah, but he, <laughs> that's he, his objective is to get Dane is, is wasted. That you're in the mix, like yeah. But I, I assume that everybody there was doing it. Yeah, oh, I assume that Mick isn't, and I assume Kelly isn't, and I don't think well, Kelly wasn't is. in the picture. Okay. But my point Kelly is, you know, isn't doing. My point is, yeah, that's Dane's career path. That's Matt Wilkinson's career path, ADS, and that's what they're gonna do. Adriano was doing it, his first ever. They said, "Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, dang! I might have to swap him Adriano out of my team." Was doing. These are things no, that, I don't think it's gonna linger for a hangover into like when they run the event on Thursday or whatever. But my point is, yeah, I not so you. much the hangover, but just the vibe, just the the message that you're sending. I guess I think it's okay. Honestly, I think it's okay. Why? I think, well, because. Why is it okay for professional athletes to show themselves getting drunk? Because they are getting drunk. And I didn't I don't say think, they weren't. I'm not no, saying I'm answering your out. question. Yeah, but in the public sphere. I'm answering your question. I think it's okay. It is their lifestyle. There's no point in trying to live a double life and to try to be like, oh no, we're perfectly um, sober human beings and we don't participate in any of that. And then, look, it's not like they're posting. I'm I'm not saying that that they don't behave in that manner. Yeah. I'm not saying that we don't assume that even Tony Romo or or Brady gets drunk. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that you don't see those guys putting it into the public sphere. Dude, you're out 
on a on a tropical island. You're allowed to have a tropical drink out of a snorkel. It's not like he's snorting. No, no, no. I do understand what you're saying. What I'm saying is that falls within the realm of acceptable behavior. You're on a tropical vacation drinking a you're not a fufu cocktail. You're you're competing in a surfing. You're not doing a rail off a hooker's butt. Like that's different. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like that would be in the realm of sounds like something you've done before. You (laughs) said that like you've been there. That would be in the realm of unacceptable behavior. This of is this just joking around having a fine time. Like I'm not bothered by it at all. I'm not saying you. I'm just saying if you're the handlers of these people, is this the way that professional surfing wants to be portrayed? Portrayed. For Dane is, Reynolds, that's part of his thing. For Wilco, Adriano. that's part of his thing. Adriano, I don't think it's necessarily the best decision. Like that's something we could discuss. Mick Fanning, probably not, but I think um, I'm not, I think it's fine. I don't think you can control image that much. I don't think you want to control image that much. And this is an image that, again, it's not that bad. That's acceptable behavior on Fiji, on lay days, when the swell's not coming for a number of days. I'm not saying the behavior's not acceptable. I'm saying putting it out into the public sphere, I'm not so sure about. Yeah. Well, that's your I mean, opinion. You're already taking guys off your team based on what I told you. <laughs> well, actually, that's what this fantasy thing has come down to is like, I'm tracking their behavior on Twitter. Like, what did he eat for lunch? Is that going to weigh him down tomorrow morning? Like, how late did he stay up? Did he stub his toe when he got up in the morning? Like, that all matters, dude. Can somebody tell me if he's going around looking for wax? Exactly. <laughs> that kind of thing. Exactly. Seabash showed up. Seabash showed up with no fins. I know that much. Oh my God. That's a bad sign. That's why you shouldn't be putting out the. And so if he shows up with no fins and you see him drinking, you take him off of your team. Plus, he brought his girlfriend. Oh my God. Sign of weakness. Sign of weakness. That's a sign of weakness. By the way, I heard that Tavaru Island is so absolutely packed, jam, crowded with people, as well as Nomotu, that it's just like. It's at a busting point. Like, it's just uncomfortably crowded. And so somebody on the Surfer Mag message board brought up a good point. What if it was like they got stranded on Tavarua, like Gilligan's Island? Like, who would play the skipper? Who would be Gilligan? Who would be Who would be the skipper of the whole WSL scene? Who would be the Kieran skipper? Kieran Perot, I guess? I was KP? thinking Martin Potter. Ooh. Might be the skipper. Ooh. I could see him. It would become up. a battle royale probably between Potts and, and KP. And who's Gilligan? The sort of dumb, like, you know, happy-go-lucky. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. That's a good. Who is it? You've thought about this. <laughs> Give it to me. It's probably Joe. Right? Joe Turpel. It's probably Joe. I Are love Joe of- Turpel, by the way. But when you think about Gilligan, who's the who's the other option for Gilligan? Uh, maybe like I surfer. I mean, it's hard to pick sea bass surfer wise. Yeah, maybe or maybe Wilco. It's funny, we know the broadcasters' personalities better than we know no, the surfers. Kind of, you yeah. probably don't, but I do. You're probably tapped into all of them. But yeah, here's who's my a, who's a Gilligan. Who's sort of a yeah, happy goofy, go lucky, goofy. Yeah, kind of like maybe it is sea bass. Sea bass, maybe Felipe even seems kind of that He's way. He's pretty focused. But. Yeah, but here's my question: Felipe's Gil- the professor. Who is? Philippe Toledo's the professor. Is he? Here's my question with Gilligan's Island is like they have, you know, wardrobes of clothing, especially, you know, um, Thurston Howell the third and stuff. He had a trunk full of clothing. Yeah. They were going on a three hour tour. Why do you bring a trunk of clothing because, on a three hour tour? You need <laughs> your cocktail dress, your evening gown, your evening coat, your you know, when you're like multi mega, you've got a, an ascot for every hour. I guess so. <laughs> By the way, who would be Ginger and who would be Marianne of the whole WSLC? Ooh, 
Good question. Who's your ginger? Who's your man? The ginger? The super hot Hollywood starlet ginger. The ginger. Gotta be Laura Enever. I think you're right. Laura or Malia Manuel. Really? Does she put off that Hollywood bling thing? Not the Maybe Hollywood bling Ho. thing, but she is glamorous Maybe for sure. Maybe it's Coco Ho. She's always Coco can do it. I Who, think, who's I your think Laura. Marianne? Mary Ann. Sally Fitzgibbon. Sally or Carissa, maybe. Carissa's the girl next door. Yeah. But she's lovely. I think Sally Fitzgibbons. Yeah. Send us your tweets. Um, You tell us. There is a big swell coming and and we're excited about it. So that's probably going to kick off on Thursday, um, North America time. Okay. Sweet. I think. Which would be Friday morning there. You want to? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. You want to talk about um, the smallest swell ever? Instead of the biggest swell? Sure. Uh, Enland, Texas Wave Park coming to Austin. I did see that. Okay. A wave Park coming to Austin, Texas. Austin, Texas. And is that one of the Wave Garden ones? Yes. The engineers from the Wave Garden in Spain are the engineers for this project. I'm going to give you the bullet points. Okay. Austin, Texas. It's going to be nine football fields large. There's 10 unique waves to choose from, including like everything from one foot to six foot, including perfect barreling waves that you could select. Um, the length of ride is about 35 seconds each time. There's 300 waves per hour. They're using recycled, reclaimed water. The thing opens in 2016. Radical. Radical. How big are the waves? From You pick your size from one to six feet, and you can get perfect six-foot barrels. For 35 seconds. And it's a wave garden. It's one of the flow. It's got basically a trough. It it pulls something underwater that creates a wave. Exactly. These waves are interesting. Those pull, they're called pull waves Mm -hmm. because all of the energy is right there at that moment where it's breaking. If you go out onto the shoulder, unlike a wave in the ocean, when you go out on the shoulder of a wave in the ocean, there's tons of energy on that. If you go out into the shoulder of one of these pull waves, the energy's done. You just sink. So you have to be in that. Zone right there. You can't go, oh, I got 10 speed. I'm going to run out for a huge roundhouse. Or you just yeah, you just fall in the water. Interesting. Yeah. Probably need different boards too, I would imagine. Or I mean. Well, there's fresh water, so they're not quite as floaty, right? Like, I mean, you don't need it, but I bet new boards will be developed oh, for, for sure. that. For sure. So, um, interesting. Austin, Texas. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting just from a business standpoint, like they'll create you know, all retail around it and shopping and hotels and all that sort of thing, probably. It'd be like an amusement park. Austin's a big college town. I think Texas, uh, University of Texas is there, right? I'm not sure. And I was reading this morning that Snowdania, is it? Snowdania? The one in the United Kingdom in Britain. Okay. The the Wave Garden Wave Machines being, it opens there this year, Mm -hmm. 2015. And um, they were talking all about it. They were actually kind of... um, I guess relinquishing or or giving out some of the information of the technology behind it, which I just gave you. It's a it's right. going to be a basically three hundred meters, which is a, about a hundred yards, right? More or less. Three hundred so feet would be a hundred yards. I don't know about meters. Uh, yeah. This is America, Scott. We don't I know. Use, Thank God we have the standard <laughs> system. Um, but anyway, I think it's about a football field long. So think of like you know sure. the Coliseum or San Diego Stadium or whatever. Sure. And. Um, there's a pull track right down the middle. So a wave goes left, a wave goes right all at the same time. And it's one of these pull, underwater pulls, a pull wave. And they were saying one meter waves, which is a three foot wave. And different size, different form and shape and stuff like you mentioned. Yeah. And they were saying one wave every minute. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, this one says 300 waves per hour. So it'd be more than that. But yeah, I got an interesting topic kind of related to that. I interviewed um, Randy Rarick um, for the podcast a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about that standing wave in Germany. And then I got an email from somebody about that afterwards. And then one of our listeners, Henning, is um, from Germany. I've, he's uh, emailed quite a bit. And I've seen him at the boardroom show and stuff. And he talked about his experience as well. And what it is is just like, there's now this kind of new crop of people who are learning how to surf outside of the ocean. And then they go and try to translate that water. Randy was talking about they have tourists in Hawaii who come to surf in Hawaii who learned how to surf outside of the ocean. They'll get up on a wave and they can actually surf, but they have almost no etiquette in the water and no ocean knowledge. So you'll see these guys paddling and positioning and they just look like complete kooks like you can assess that quickly being a surfer like all right this guy's not a threat in the lineup at all but then once he's on a wave you see him do a turn and you're like whoa i underestimated that guy he actually knows how to surf and um as randy told me that i realized like i've experienced that especially in huntington beach surfing the pier i never knew what it was i just thought like my i was calibrate calibrated a little bit off and like i need to reassess how i judge people but what it is is exactly that, you know? It's like, this guy looks like such a barn and like his first time in the water, but how come he's surfing better than I am, essentially, <laughs> oh you know? <laughs> and not not really, but like, <laughs> like I, I didn't give that guy enough credit, but yeah. that's something that we're gonna run into. People are gonna get ran over. People are gonna not know how to duck dive when you're going down the line. Um, it's just kind of an interesting development in surf culture that we never had to address before. Well, that's a great segue to this next piece, which is swabbing surfers' rectums for science. Oh, no. Yes. Scientists are launching an investigation into antibiotic-resistant bacteria, superbugs, by gathering data from surfers' rectums. This story comes from the United Kingdom. Beach Bums is the first UK project of its kind, teaming researchers with the action group Surfers Against Sewage. Surfers are being asked to voluntarily provide rectal swabs to help scientists find out the effects of marine pollution on human health. David, are you going to sign up for this? Are you just going to voluntarily provide rectum swabs to surfers against sewage? I am not. I'm usually is a late- anybody, for God's sakes, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. I'm a late adapter regardless of what the project is. So I'll go. I'll be last in line for that one, especially. I just can't believe Wait, that this so, is actually a legit story, but it is. In fact, the, the guy from Surfers Against Sewage, here's his quote. He says, we've been laughing about swab parties going on around the country, but this is set against the background of a really important project. So he's they're kind of buying into it, but I just can't imagine how, I mean, there's no upside. Like, just you just want to help help society right. in general by like just providing a swab or like, like <laughs> well maybe with enough of the nemo um scuba beer bong thing i'm i could be talked into it but <laughs> i'll need at least three of those um so oh, here's my question to you is yeah. why can't they just swab your arm or your your mouth or or are they i i can't answer that question <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i'm not sure it says the swabs will give researchers an insight into the microbes which colonize in surfers' guts. So this oh, is as close okay. to getting into that area as you can get. I'd rather do a surgery where you open my gut and go in that way. By the way, Surfers Against Sewage is asking for 300 surfers around the country to get involved, and the results are expected to be released, be released 
in 2016. So 300 UK surfers are going to, they're hoping. Funny. They're hoping. Well, um, yeah. Tweet us if you participated in that study. Don't, Let us actually. know how it goes. <laughs> no. <laughs> Scott wants photos. Oh, Lordy. Um, did you follow the ISA thing at all? A little bit. Do you, you know, care at all? I, I, I really, there's so much ISA news that comes out that it just, it just, I just, I just feel like I'm swimming in a stew of ISA information and it's just too much to take in. So the ISA, it's like this international, um, you know, it's uh, the International Surfing Association is what it is. right? Yeah. And where it's, it's country president is a good friend of mine, uh, Fernando Aguirre. And I, yeah. and I, I'm a, I, I'm a huge fan of Fernando. Sure. He's a great guy, full of energy. If there was more Fernandos in the world, the world would be a better place. Um, and the ISA is a cool thing. And I have friends that surf in it. You know, um, it's the governing body that's really trying to, without it, there's no chance of surfing getting in the Olympics. And that's yeah. their their big push is to get as many countries as possible signed up as uh, member bodies of the ISA. And then be able to go to the International Olympic Committee and go, hey, look, we've got every country in the world that, that has a you know a stake in this. Let's get surfing in the Olympics. Right. I interrupted. No, you. it's fine. It's go basically ahead. country against country. And then there's individual winners as well. This was the junior event, right? No, this was the world thing. The world. Like everybody, yeah. yeah. It was at Popoyo in Nicaragua. Um, Costa Rica won yeah. the gold medal. Um, and then in the men's division, Noe Mar McGonagall, which is a Costa Rican surfer, he won that. And that's a name that we need to pay attention to. I've spent... Scott's rolling his eyes for the record. Is that like Carlos Muniz? Well, he was on the team as well. You're <laughs> I welcome. I thought he was on the world tour. What no. happened to that guy? Dude, you do not pay attention to anything on this I, show. I Come do. On. I just, you know, not no. every little thing. He will be on the world tour. But I, I'm a big fan of Carlos, of course, so I'm glad that he was part of the winning team. But this kid, Noe Mar, I've yeah. spent a week with in Huntington a while back with Quicksilver. Yeah. And, I mean, he really is a legit. contender. Yeah. Like, he's going to be on the tour in the next year or two. He's legit. Yeah. And so, Noe won the men's division. Tia Blanco from the U.S. won the women's division, so that's notable. It's Blanca or Blanco? Tia Blanco. Blanco. Yeah. I was confused too. Or is it Bianca? Like, no, no, it's Tia. Yeah. No, I know, but Tia Bianco or Blanca. Like, yeah. I was confused, but I'm pretty sure it's I Blanca. I saw pictures of Damian Hobgood, who I think coached the team. No, he was on the team. Oh, he was Simmons, on the team. Ryan Damian's, Simmons. Oh, there was coach, Ryan and Damian that were carrying Tia up the beach. That's the right. Picture, yeah, Ryan's the coach. And then Damian's on the team. Nathaniel Ryan's a great Curran. guy, by the way. Oh, Big awesome. Fan of his. Yeah, me too. So, um, Nathaniel Curran, Damian Hobgood, Ian Crane, and I'm forgetting a fourth person that's on the U.S. team. But um, on the men's side, anyways. Geiselman? No, I don't think. Maybe. Yeah, maybe know. Evan. I'm just trying to think. I can't remember. But anyways, like these are a these are kind of A-list, maybe B-list U.S. surfers. And they're Damien's coming in, an A-lister. And they're coming in third place. They got the bronze. Barely got the bronze. Well, that's because there, there's bodyboarding, isn't there? Like, it's So it's not just the shortboarders. There's longboarders. There's bodyboarders. And there might even be something else that yeah. adds to your team total. I've had PT in here, and we've argued at length that we need to get rid of the bodyboard division for the for the United States to ever win a gold medal. Now, I could be wrong because I don't follow the ISA competition that well, but I'm under the impression that you have to have a bodyboard team, a shortboard women's, shortboard men's, and that might might be just those three. Maybe there's longboard as well. I don't know. So that's my problem with the ISA is I really care, and I was checking in every day trying to figure out what's happening and who's doing what, and I couldn't figure out the structure of it. There's so much 
information that comes out of there that you're i'm just like what which event is this again like there's an yeah. event every week it seems like i i, I literally i literally spent five to ten minutes every day that they were doing this thing on their site trying to figure it out and just gave up every day like i was like this is too confusing for me and um then if you lose there's like a repercharge round that you can get back in but then there's like five repercharge rounds between the beginning and the end. So it's like, you can lose five times and still win the event. Like <laughs> I was not into it at all. But my point is that um, there's incredible surfers around the world whose names we don't know from countries like Peru yeah. that that are smoking our US surfers who are making six figures, you know? Yeah. So um, that's something worth commenting on anyway. It's it, Yeah, I'd like to get, um, it'd be fun to have Ryan in here. And both of us rap with Ryan a little bit. He, he's a good interview. Yeah, Ryan's solid. Um, I will say that my friend, my dear friend Craig Schieber, Tequila Schieber is a, is a member of the Costa Rican team on the Masters side of it. I know the Masters weren't even involved in this particular event. No. That's my thing with the ISA. There's so many friggin' events. There's like, yeah. there's Masters, there's World Juniors, there's Juniors, there's the World Team, there's, I think there's SUP and longboard i think there's also challenged athletes to it's just like overwhelming information yeah, and it is and i think they have to be kind of all encompassing to, to so that all of these new nations can be a part of it and take a part and i think that's why there's so many repercharges is because they don't want a brand new team to the isa a brand new country i should say to the isa coming to nicaragua losing their first heat and going home. They right. want all these surfers to get as much. So they're like, you're in another heat. Don't worry. You're in another, right. I know you lost, but you're in another heat. You're yeah. in. And so they give these guys like six heats to get six plays. Right. Well, um, what do you have to do to earn the nickname tequila, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> oh God. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Cause that's pretty solid. Uh, yeah. He's a, he's a great guy, a great surfer, very competitive surfer. And, um, I don't, I didn't give him the nickname. He actually, Got the nickname when he moved to Costa Rica about, I don't know, 20 years ago. I have a feeling there's probably a lot of people contending for that nickname. So if you're the one who wins it, <laughs> yeah. you got to be pretty That's legit. A good point. That's a good point. You got to be pretty solid. It might have to do with snorting tequila or something. Ooh. Um, hot sauce. Off a of hooker's, might involve off hot hooker's sauce. bus. <laughs> so, it might involve a triple jump start of some sort. I don't know. I got a, I got a topic for you. Yeah. Um, it falls under the category of just photo licensing issues. Mm -hmm. um, on BeachGrid, they've done a couple stories of like professional photographers who get into an online beef, basically. A while back, it was Mike Balzer versus Steve Sherman. Did you see that? No. Steve Sherman posted a photo of a cover shot of one of Taylor, or I think it was the back cover of Taylor Steele's Focus which had like all the crew back then, Kelly and whomever. Yeah. And, um, and said like, wrote this little story about like, yeah, back when Taylor Steele hired me in 1992 to shoot this photo, blah, blah, blah. Well, Mike Balzer commented on Instagram, calling him out. Like I was the one who shot that photo. Your memory's awful. You're always stealing people's photos. And like they got in this online skirmish. Ooh. So beach grit covered it. And um, more recently, they covered a brand new one, which was John Steele versus Grant Ellis. And basically, it's no way. Those yeah. two guys. Well, basically, the first one was Balzer calling out Sherm. Sherm didn't really have he wasn't engaged. He kind of engaged, but it was Balzer calling out Sherm. This one is John Steele calling out Grant Ellis. And basically, 
uh, John Steele posted a photo flip of his finger flipping off the latest issue of Surfer magazine. And in the caption, he said, F. Grant Ellis and his ego-fueled photo editor dictatorship. For the past 15 years, I've been working to get Texas surfing into the magazine, only to have him shoot the article himself and take money and work away from me. Congrats on being the crappiest photo editor ever. Take my name off the photographer masthead. That was John Steele's wow. caption to Grant Ellis. Death Weasel. That's his nickname, by the way. So, Did all you right. Know that? No, John Steele's we'll nickname. get into that. Death Weasel. I don't know why. I just oh, know okay. that's, when I met him, that was. So that basically, was basically, it's an issue of kind of like John Steele is from Texas, Corpus Christi, I think. Like, and he's documented the surfing there for 20, yeah. 15 John's years. John's a cool guy. Good, good, and, good guy. And these tankers that come by and create these waves and. And he's been pitching that story to Surfer Magazine for 15 years, essentially. And they keep turning him down for these articles and turning down his images and not purchasing them. But then Surfer decided that they wanted to do an article on it. So they sent their staff guy, Grant Ellis, their photo editor, down there to cover it and do an article. And they did, and they published it. When that article came out is when John commented in this way. So it's kind of like... The magazine can do whatever they want, but John um, cultivated this entire culture there, essentially, did all the legwork, and then they come in and kind of usurp his knowledge and his gatekeeping is what it is. That's What are you your know, thoughts? My thoughts on that are that's unfortunate for John because John certainly deserved to get that assignment based on what you've told me and what I know because I used to work with both of those guys for 10 years at Server Magazine. And... Um, and Grant Ellis is a good friend of mine and John Steele, they're both good friends of mine. So I don't really know too much about it, which is what we do here on this podcast is comment <laughs> about stuff we don't know about. But my thoughts are is that I do know that editors are under budgets, you know, and it could be a situation where he's like, you know, Grant's, Grant could be like, you know what, we're under budget. I can't afford, I got to go do it myself because I get a salary here. So if I shoot it, it's covered. You right. know, I don't have to do a buyout to right. John. I don't have to pay for his T&E. I don't have to do any of that stuff. So it could have just been a simple budgetary thing. And then a lack of communication on Grant's part, not calling John and going, dude, I'm so sorry. You should have this assignment, but I'm, I don't have any money. The budget's spent. I got to do it. Please forgive me, but I got to go down there and do it. That's, I'm assuming, where some of the issues are, and probably where a lot of the issues are with a lot of these things. And most conflicts in general, and in, in just in public li in life in general, is a lack of communication. So I'm hoping that's where it was, and it's too bad. But I do know John, uh, you know, that he flipped off the magazine and asked for his name to be removed. That might have been, he may have uh, tipped his hand too soon there. I agree with that. And I almost... We got to use these names just to illustrate that's where it came from. But I really think we ought to remove, it's a bigger conversation than just these two guys, yeah. especially with surfing where it's like this kind of gatekeeping or this, this kind of developing your, your craft around an area or a certain knowledge and getting it out into the public eye and cultivating it and then allowing other photographers just to show up and benefit off of all of your hard work is something that comes up around the world with different locations and even with specific surfers. We've talked about many and the cult, the um, relationship that he's developed as a videographer with Dane Reynolds. And then other people show up and grab images of Dane and post it online where he and Dane are working on this long-term project that they were, you know, 
and then they get in an argument and it's kind of like what's acceptable what's acceptable fair use and what isn't i guess and that's territory that we're kind of continually navigating um one of the issues that i've seen people run into is as well as with social media reposting like uh photographers that travel on the world tour post photos of these free surf sessions and then you or whoever company repost a photo and the photographer is like well i need to get paid for you guys reposting that photo on social media how do you feel about that well gosh i'll tell you one thing from a global perspective this story about photos and photographers and rights and surfing is so massive and so huge um and it goes back so far um there's just so many layers to the story really that that need to be told because um you know photographers feel like and they probably have been um getting the short end of the stick since surf magazines first started 100 percent. you know and um and i know that when i worked at surfer magazine i was right in the middle of a lot of it where you know they look at the editor and they're like all you do is write down some words you know i gotta go and grind and take the photos and develop it and pay and, you know, and the equipment's super the expensive equipment and just every, you know and and so this story has just got so many different arms to it and, and branches that you could go off of, you know, but, um, and it's, it's just quite interesting. The, the whole thing. And I've got side stories about, about John Steele that I could go into and I should at some point, but, um, and they're not bad. They're more bad about me than they are about him. But he, wanna... he and I went on a trip once and I'll tell you the story in a minute, but, okay. but the photography thing, uh, it's just, it's just multi-layered and um, I really don't know where to start. You know, if you had a, a more specific question for me, I will say you did ask me about social media. That's kind of what I wanted to photography. And, and I kind of throw my hands up in the air and go, you know what? It's social media is so quick and so happening. And so I just don't think it's possible to manage it. I don't think it's, I don't think it's reasonable to expect manage management of your images. I it's agree. like, if you put it out there too bad, you might get one-time usage a, a one-time payment, but it's off and running. There is no way you're going to be able to control Pierre in France and Felipe in Peru and me here and you know John Paul in Canada. It's just everybody is going to repost and and once it's in the digital realm, unfortunately, you're screwed. I also and that's been the nature of surf photographers' lives. That's sort of their theme is that yeah. they've been screwed and they're going to continue to get screwed. And it's a it's a uh, you know it's a labor of love. It's not um, it's unfortunate, but but I it also is what it is. I feel like you should be grateful for the added exposure too. Well, you're not getting and, credit for your photo, but though. oftentimes they are. Well, like they different. get tagged in the photo and they you, get the you, credit, you but they still that. want to get their their rate for oh, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. But and I understand that too. Like I actually think that they're way underpaid, and and I kind of understand that whole aspect of it. And people are monetizing social media now and Instagram. So if somebody else is going to monetize it, I want to make sure that I'm benefiting from it if it's my imagery. But I also kind of feel like I the opposite of that, where it's just like, dude, it's just social media, and you should be grateful for any exposure that you get. You already posted it, and it, actually on Instagram's thing, it's like in their rights and usage, 
once you post it to Instagram, it's, it's Instagram. No, it's Instagram's property. property. Right. So you're no longer the owner of it at that right. point. So if I then post Instagram's property, that's between me and Instagram, not between you and me. That's interesting. Like that's legally the yeah. right answer. Wow. But that's I also, fascinating. but I also think it goes back to that headspace thing that you talked about with competing, where whether you give eighty percent in a free surf or hundred percent, where it's kind of like if you're the photographer and you're wrapping up your headspace in chasing down nickels and dimes because somebody reposted your photo, it's kind of a poor use of your energy and time and a little bit of negativity too. Like be grateful somebody likes your work and posted it and work on um, you know, creating more work that is, and work on your clients who pay you and those types of projects. And once you kind of get paid for the projects, you're already in Australia shooting the photos for whomever you're there for, getting paid for that. Once those photos go out, if somebody reposts them, good. Added exposure, you already got paid for, you know, like that's kind of my mentality. Um, yeah, I, I agree. You know, it's, it's like once you're out there, once you put it out there into the social media world, it's over. Yeah. You know, and the super, the, the guys that are really um, holding on to some special stuff. And it's sad. Like I see photos of Jeff Devine's all the time without Jeff's, no one even mentioning Jeff Devine, you know? Right. Like, and I know that's a Jeff Devine photo just because right. I, I, I know his work because I, I own his book and we're yeah. pretty good buddies. And, and, and it's sad, you know, but, but I will say that there's guys like Jeff and there's guys even in this building, like Steve Wilkins has some great stuff that, I guess what I'm saying is it's the guys that have imagery from the magic era that when there wasn't um, there wasn't like user-friendly SLR cameras, you had to be a legitimate professional trained photographer. And so all of those guys, they should be wise enough to kind of sit on their stuff and hold out on their stuff and do a book or whatever. Like sure. Every time I see Jeff put an image out on online like one of his classic photos i'm like uh oh there it goes you know it's gone Poof. Mm -hmm. it almost the money from it just disappears it's right like, and so those guys that have those moments those eras like the leroy granises steve wilkings jeff divine um even hornbreaker and art brewer there's a bunch of those guys yeah. right those guys are sitting on some gold warren bolster is a great example those guys are sitting on gold and they should do books and and so now guys like sherman and guys that are Sherman's got access to a lot of really cool stuff. And I know he's sitting on a book because he travels with Willie Nelson. He travels with Pearl Jam. He, he's got a real cultural book. He travels with Kelly Slate. Like he's got insight and access to all of these guys. So he, he's sitting. So those guys that are sitting on this stuff are, are there's certain guys that were probably close to Andy that just traveled with Andy. You know, um, Kenworthy was a guy that was real close with Andy. Those guys should sit on that stuff. Don't bleed it out to the social media realm or any digital realm and just make a really great book about it with insight and stuff like that. And there, there might be a little bit of money, maybe. You know what I mean? Like it's a, it's it's a, tough, it's a tough job. There's a million. There's a million surf photographers. It's the one thing that if you can't make the world tour, but you want to live that lifestyle, what can you do? I can be a surf photographer. Yeah. And it's not that hard. All I got to do is go to best buy and purchase that canon that you have right there yeah and start clicking away yeah and you're pro surf photographer it's gotten that easy yeah i really sympathize actually even though i argued against the photographers um i kind of sympathize with them and i really appreciate and admire the art and i'm a huge fan and i understand the plight of like being underpaid and all that sort of thing um but 
the only thing kind of more distasteful to me than that plight is seeing, seeing, yeah, seeing them spew the negativity of like, this is mine. I'm trying to protect it because I guess my underlying thought is just that like art should be appreciated and viewed. And I feel like if you're creating that art and then trying to create a box around it and charge people to see it, that's what rubs me the wrong way. But the thing is, is that they've been screwed for so long. I know. That they're just they're they're so salty because they have been really screwed over, right? By magazine editors, by publishers, by the surf industry in general. Like these these corporations yeah. that just grab photos and you know just take advantage of photographers and yeah. The 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 you know I guess at the end of the day they they should have created some sort of union or some sort of monopoly of their skill set and said, you know what, we're all together on this. And if you want to use our images, this is how much it, because the imagery was what is what it's all about. Absolutely. hundred percent. And they were getting paid nothing. Here's what would be interesting. The comparison for us, we're giving this away for free. This content that costs us a lot of energy and time and even money, not a lot of money, but it costs us money to produce. What if, I, like, I'm fully okay with other people posting this and sharing it, and the more ears, the better. But what if somebody took the file? This segment's brought to you by the Boardroom Surfboard Show. <laughs> by the way, what, Go if, ahead. what if somebody took this file and instead of just posting it on their site, put in a bumper ad at the beginning and at the end of it, selling advertising and collecting that revenue from this show? And never told us about it. And then that we, could be happening. And by the way, be. you just gave somebody a really good idea. It could be. You know, and then one day somebody sends us a link and we go and listen to it. And it's like, hey, this is brought to you by whatever. And oh. like, I'd be pretty pissed. Yeah, I'd be pissed. I'd be pissed. But is that that's not happening on Instagram, though. Like, you're, but but if, you are grabbing people's images, putting them on your site, and you're getting ad revenue off of clicks or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, there's. I'm sure that there's brands that have reposted photos. I've seen stuff. Yeah. I've seen just recently. I remember seeing a Jeff Divine photo on like, on I think it was Surfer dot com. I don't know what that is. It's just a website with conglomerates yeah, sure. that gets news together and puts it all out there. And um, and I remember going, God, they didn't even give Jeff a credit. Oh, a wow. photo credit. You yeah. know, they just like put a photo. On yeah, them. yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, so that's it's so touchy. I know we're going to get emails so, about this oh, one. It's so touchy. It's, and again, that it, it there's so many elements to it that it would make a really good, you know, in-depth Surfers Journal article about some of the infighting that's happened, some of the issues around it. Right. I'll tell you that um, in two in like '99 or 2000, when the internet boom was happening, and there was hard cloud, and there was swell, and there was uh, Blue Torch, and there was all of these new web surfing websites that were just being v- funded by VC guys, and just had tons of money. And that, um, basically, um, Steve Hawk came to Surfer Mag- came from Surfer Magazine, and basically cherry picked Evan Slater and Doug Palladini and some photographers, and just basically took them. And that was happening all over. Jim Kempton, I think, ran Hard Cloud, and whoever ran Blue Torch, I think it was Ian Cairns, or so, I don't even know. But anyway, my point is, is that these big money VC uh, websites came in and cherry picked all of the top editorial people from surfer and surfing and just around the surf world. And we're giving the photographers like $5,000 monthly retainers. 
it was ridiculous. Like they were just throwing all oh, you have to, here's a, and oh, by the way, we're going to buy out your photos too. You know, like we give you five grand and we're going to pay for your photos. So myself as the surfing magazine website editor, I was left without anything. I had no budget, no money and no photographers. They were looking at me and going, dude, hard cloud's giving me five grand a month. And you're, you know, and I'm like, dude, I can give you like 20 bucks for this little, and I, and I need a poster size, you know, and they were just laughing at him. So I had to become a surf photographer just out of need. I right. just go, screw it. I'm yeah. just going to go buy a camera, set up with my tripod right next to these guys and just start taking pictures. Right. Because the technology was at a point now where I had autofocus. I knew enough about surfing that I knew what to shoot and what, but I was, they were still crappy photos sure. relative to the good guys. But that's what I had to do. And that's what everybody did. Everyone all of a sudden became professional surf photographer. When that first digital camera came out, I, I owned the very first one. I bought it from Pierre Tosti, who was the ASP photographer at the time. It was a $30,000 camera. Whoa. It was a, a Canon Kodak. It was called the Canon Kodak, I forget, like the G5000 or whatever the hell the name of it was. $30,000. Somehow I convinced... Somebody at Surfer Magazine, I think Kevin Meehan, the publisher at the time, to buy a used one from Pierre so Pierre could get the next updated better one. And we're talking about, you know, um, I think there, there was like a three frames per second frame rate and the largest file was like four, gig, four megabytes. Mm. You know, there wasn't even like a raw file. It was like a large, it was just. Yeah. It's like it would be worth zero right now. Right. But, but just 15 years ago, it was like a $20,000 camera or something. Crazy. So we went out and bought that and I, and I just had to do that. And then I had photographers looking at me like as soon as the internet bubble blew up. Right. And they're like, oh, by the way, we need work. I'm like, that's cool. I'm good. You know, I yeah. know how to use this thing now. Yeah. And, you know, that's just one of a, a, just a little sampling of some of the different ways that the surf photography world has um you know, skewed and gone awry and gone weird. And, and there's right. a million stories out there. Interesting. Well, that'll be an ongoing conversation. I'm sure that we have because it's kind of changing on a day-to-day -day basis. Oh, I'll, I'll tell you what, you sit in a boat at Chopu or at Cloudbreak yeah. with 15 photographers. You got Sean Davey and Beelman and, and, and Sarge and Devine and Survey. And they're all, and all they do all day long is just share swap stories about how they're getting screwed over by right. this publisher or that magazine. It's just, yeah. they are a salty crew, man. Which is why I like to see guys like Chris Burkhardt, who we talked about last show and his TED talk, guys like that, where it's like they kind of expand outside of what we've, what surf photographers are known for, you know, and start dabbling in other industries and that sort of thing, because you can get a $10,000 a day day rate in the fashion world, you know, and that pays yeah. for so much more. Like you'd have to work a long time in surfing to generate yeah, that. It'll never... It'll never, there's a never ending supply of 20 year old labor, a labor force of guys right. that just bought a new camera and want to cruise right. with their friends and would be stoked to submit uh, something and get it published in Surfer. Oh, and you're going to give me 200 bucks? Cool. Right. You know, exactly. Um, speaking of TED Talks and um, proprietary knowledge, I guess, Chris Dixon did a TED Talk and he did it. You were talking about his book, I think a show or two ago, Ghost Wave, about Cortez Bank. Yeah. And so Chris Dixon did a TED Talk that, it's 20, 15 minutes and it's all about that book. And the ex, he kind of, it's not all about um, the full story within the book. It's kind of just the initial story that he talks about in the book, which is the discovery of Cortez Bank and fishermen going out there and they were going to build an island that they were going to have a yeah. resort on and all this kind of thing. Yeah, it's crazy. So he looks, Dixon looks super nervous in the talk and he actually doesn't nail it at all. But it's still worth watching. And like he, 
he got his point across, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I, I saw some Facebook stuff that he put out there that he was really nervous about it. Oh, did he say that? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's he it, even said that he, he blew it. He kind of yeah. did. Yeah. I, I didn't hear that. I was just, that was my own assessment. But at the beginning of the talk, I'm like, whoa, he's super nervous, but I'm sure he'll get through it. By the end, he was just as nervous as he was at the beginning. I'm sure it's nerve wracking. It's w- well worth watching though. Like it's a well, great, it's a great story. book. It's yeah. a great book. You should read the book because it's a fascinating little piece of, uh, of land out there, you know, Bishop's Rock and yeah. uh, the Cortez Bank. And it's a great book. Yep. Ghost Wave. Awesome. Dixie. Well, I got wrap up topics like Kook and Duke, but if you have anything else. I've got a few more things. Um, there was another Reunion Island shark attack just a couple of days ago. A 47 year old surfer, Eddie Chasselet, was surfing a spot there in Reunion on the West Coast. His arm got massively slammed and hammered by probably a bull shark. Or a tiger. Uh, despite the severity of his arm injuries, uh, they didn't have to amputate his arm, mainly due to the uh, to the first aid by the firemen who were quick on the scene, and later the doctors there that fixed it up quickly and did a good job. But he, Eddie's a well-respected surfer uh, on Reunion, and um, this is the third shark attack there. As you know, tragically, that 13-year-old red-hot surfer kid, uh, Eli- Elio Canistri, Canistri, in April, and the 20-year-old woman uh, died who was just swimming out there, believe it or not. Uh, that was a poor choice. Sadly. Yeah. yeah. And and so there was some commentary about this. Um, and basically, you know, there are shark nets in Durban, South Africa. The idea is, um, you know, shark nets, you, you would think, right, that shark nets are just this one big long net. And right. the sharks bump into them and turn around and go. But they're actually gill nets that are set up to not only catch the shark but have the shark flounder there and die and then they pull the sharks out and that's how they call the population of the sharks in Durban okay they actually kill them through this netting process okay and um, I guess my question to you is are you is there a point in time are, are you at a place where you're like no matter what we should never call a regional shark population or are you at a place David where you're like there could be a point in time when enough people get killed that I'm willing to entertain the possibility of culling the local uh, shark population. I absolutely am at a point where it's okay to cull a population and I wouldn't dictate it based on how many people get killed, but I would dictate it based on, look, we're not living in a natural ecosystem any longer. There's overfishing and those sharks get hungry because there's not enough fish for them to eat and they go kill humans. And like, if we're altering the ecosystem in one way by overfishing, then there's going to be negative consequences and you're going to have to either stop fishing or cull the shark population. Like there's consequence to your action. And so we need to adjust for our initial behavior that set a consequence into motion. That's my stance. Well, interestingly, there were a, a couple, you know, the shark attacks at Reunion have been every year for years and years. There's been really a bunch, you know, a series, a run of sad incidents there. A couple of years ago, Stab Magazine did a piece on Reunion Island and how screwed up it is. Interestingly enough, they say a lack of fishing is the cause of the problem. It attracts sharks. It's suspected that the increase in shark activity on Reunion is a direct result of the natural reserve in place on the West Coast, where it's illegal to fish, spearfish, or ride a jet ski. It's believed that the sharks are coming in closer because there's plentiful fish. There's also the fish farming on the West Coast, which some experts think might be attracting more of the predators. Hmm. So you would think, you know, you're right. Are we messing with the ecosystem? Sure. 
Um, but it goes both ways, I guess. Right. Fishing and lack of fishing. Right. Interesting. I'm uh, just seeing here breaking news here on the show. Quicksilver stock took a massive hit this morning. It's down almost 40%. What? Yeah. It's at 77 cents. It went from uh, $1.24. And I guess they released their earnings and it just went bang and it's way down. I might buy. So you either buy or. Or. Or run for the hills. Run for the hills. I oh. noticed Billabong too is down to like forty cents this morning. Forty cents? Yeah. On the Australian stock market. No. Uh, let me I think I'll, that's an Australian stock Billabong. Um I'm not sure though. I bought it at like fifty five cents. Oh you're so. kidding, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean Yeah, look, forty forty four right now flat from yesterday. I think um I don't know when it was. I wanna say like oh nine or something. Whenever it was that their stock took a hit. I mean, it's taken a beating for years yeah, now, yeah, but yeah. there was one time when it was a, if you bought at like a dollar 10, it did get up to like three bucks. Or something. Oh yeah. No, I think it was like at 13 at some point. Yeah. There was a, there was a, it would have been a, if you bought the today at 77, what number would you sell at? Oh man. I don't know. Buck 50, double your money and get out. Yeah. That'd be fair. I think that's about right. Yeah, it depends. I mean, you got nothing to lose also at 70 cents. So yeah. I wouldn't mind waiting just to see if it ever made its way up to 10 bucks in 20 years from now. You know, oh, that'd yeah. be worth it. Um, but I heard that Gordon Merchant bought back a bunch of uh, shares in Billabong like just a couple of weeks ago, like 2 million I like bucks that. worth or something. I, I like that. So yeah. That's so I think sign. that's a good sign. Yeah. And, uh, but it's at 44 cents. So whatevs. Well, um, some more... Uh, industry parking lot rumor slash gossip. I heard that um, Google is going to build that Kelly Slater wave pool, the deluxe model. Google. Yeah. That's the what? rumor floating around that Google's involved with Kelly Slater's wave pool. That's that huge. It's going to be, and it's not just the small little, it's going to be the deluxe model. Wow. Again, rumor innuendo. Um, is there be, a location or anything? I don't, that's all I've heard. Okay. That's all I've heard. And, well, if and any- it could be total bull BS. It could be BS, but I heard it from uh, an industry insider, so that must come from some relevant source. If anybody could and do the it, Google man. boats out there in Fiji, you know. No, I didn't. Now, one of the massive boats that's out there at Cloudbreak is is the quote unquote they're calling it the Google boat. Why? Because I think all the Google executives are on it. They want to watch the Fiji Pro. Yeah, they're on vacation in Fiji, like uh, Dane Reynolds. They're partying with Dane and Adriana. They're pulling skulls of that whatever that wow. Motu drink is. Wow, I'm impressed. <laughs> Speaking of um, handlers for professional surfers and how they should cultivate their clients' image, yeah. Blair Marlin is Dane's, you know, manager. Yeah, and uh, Blair is in Fiji with Dane, and he posted an Instagram yesterday of them on this little. Um, like kind of catamaran type thing. I saw that. Did you? And Dane falls off the back of it. Like they don't even know what they're doing. And I don't know if they were drunk at this exact moment, but it's like their first time sailing this thing together and Dane gets bucked off the thing. Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of fits with what you're saying of just like, if you guys are partying that hard, should you be posting this? Yeah. And you're the manager by the way. So, yeah. but whatevs. Um, that, that whole thing could be a sinking ship in more than one <laughs> way. 
Um, must-see moment? Yeah, I have a must-see moment. By the way, this week's must-see moment is brought to you by the 100 Wave Challenge. Is it? It's a Boys to Men Mentoring Program fundraiser. <laughs> Excellent. And for more information, visit 100wave.org. No, I just bring that up because we might as well start. I just winged it right there. They don't Sweet. even know I did that. Sweet. But my point is, is that some of these segments, if we're going to monetize the show, yeah. we need to start putting it out there that these segments are available to monetize. Awesome. I'm in. Uh, my must-see moment presented by the 100 Wave Challenge is Sarge's video scrapbook. Early 90s uh, video you can find on YouTube from Paul Sargent, Sarge, Australian photographer. Um yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Early, <laughs> early '90s footage with it's pretty interesting because it's it's got Gerlach and Hoyo and a very young Kelly Slater, uh, Todd Prestage, Tony Ray, Barton Lynch, Ross Clark Jones, Tom Carroll, that whole crew of early '90s guys, late '80s actually, early '90s, and they're riding longer boards and it's basically um, a, an hour long video of the year in review that Sarge wow. put together. And so it's got interviews of, you know, it's got Brad Gerlach doing crazy shit. It's, it's got full parties in Hossiger and Baritz where they're just at the nightclub and they're raging, you know, like they're making Dane Reynolds look like right. an old man. Right. When it comes to partying. What's it called? Sarge's? Sarge's video scrapbook. You can search YouTube for it. I'll have it on uh, downthelineradio.com. I'm sure David will put it on surfsplendorpodcast.com. Good poll, dude. I'm super interested Sarge's in seeing video that. scrapbook. It's got interviews with Shmoo, and there's a bunch of them, you know? Sweet. Well, yeah. my must-see moment hit the internet nine days ago. It seems like an eternity ago, but we haven't talked about it on this show because our last show was 14 days ago. Dane Reynolds? Dane Reynolds uh-huh. sampler. I heard it's good. You haven't watched it? No. Oh my gosh, dude. I know. So Dane Reynolds sampler. The thing is legit. Most people on listening probably have watched it. But the point that I'm going to bring up about it, maybe not everybody saw, which was Stab Magazine posted it and they had about a three paragraph essay from Dane that he sent them with the video talking about the experience of the video. We all know Dane rose to popularity. I did watch some of this, actually. Go okay. Ahead. We all know Dane rose to popularity through MarineLayerProductions.com, MarineLayer.com, where he made all these lo-fi videos that they just were revolutionary, best surfing on the internet for a number of years, and then has since not really updated Marine Layer for the past year or so. He's also fallen out of the contest scene. So it's like, what's Dane doing now? We loved him so much. Well, he addresses some of that stuff in this essay, and this video sampler is all the B the B clips that didn't make the cut for Kai Neville's cluster. So in the opening paragraph of this essay, he s- talks about sending a text message to one of his friends with a link to this video when it was private. It wasn't public yet. And he goes, hey, check out this video. What do you think? Should I post it? And his friend's response was like, yeah, it's okay. And Dane's like, what are you talking about? It's okay. And his friend's like, dude, I just, I have such high expectations for you and this isn't better than what you've put out in the past. So I'm not sure that you should put it out in the public's eye. We haven't seen anything from you for a while. Don't put it out unless it's A+. So Dane's next paragraph says, quote, man, expectations. What a stoke killer. Every time you do something, the expectation is that whatever you do next has to be better. Do you understand how unsustainable that is? The pressure caused by this principle has stressed me out, burned me out, and I eventually cracked, hit out, dropped out, turned away. 
But then you get to a point where you're just like, F it. That's what I've done. That's when I've done my best surfing. When there is complete absence of consideration for what other people expect. He said, so yeah, this clip, it's B-sidey. But that's not a disclaimer. I'm proud of it. Every moment can't be your best. The waves aren't always perfect. The more you expect, the more you're disappointed. Do what you can do with what you got. Surfing's an art. There's no winner. There's no loser. There's no right or wrong way to do it. There's a big difference between saying F it and genuinely feeling it. And that's where Dane's at at this moment. Um, do you, um, what are the name of the two photographers, the video guys that were in a scuffle over Dane footage? Minnie and who's the other guy? Norwell is his Instagram name. Norwell and Minnie. Have you seen the videos that one of them is putting out? Norwell, has, Norwell's putting it Norwell's out. Norwell's putting out and it's all Dane falling. Yep. Those are epic. And it's just like, Nor, and it says something like, this is because Minnie Blanchard's an asshole or exactly. something like that on the title. And exactly. there's just clip after clip of just horrible footage. Yeah. All the outtakes of Dane falling at like Ventura Harbor and stuff. Yep. Hilarious. It's pretty funny. Solid response, by the way, to being told to beat it by Minnie. You know? Yeah. Um, so I really appreciated that out of Dane, you know, because it is exactly what we've been speculating about. And it's true. And that's so I was glad to see him come out and say it. And to be honest, letting go, it was his letting go. It, moment. Exactly. It relates exactly to that. And I think that so um, I put him on my fantasy team. <laughs> well, that you just convinced me. That's a different question. No, and I kidding. don't think you should. I know. I'm I would not. advise he against isn't. it. He but this not. this video, it is his B-sides from Cluster. But I would argue it's more entertaining to watch than anything in Cluster. Like cool. it's spectacularly good. And it's the same style of all of his lo-fi marine layer edits. Interesting music. Um, mediocre waves, a couple of falls, but brilliant surfing. Um, I've got a new board coming out, a new board coming from Biolis, a little step up, like a Shane Beshin step up. I think it's 6'2". It's a quad round tail okay. that I'm really looking forward to. I have a new board coming from Pizel. John made me a Pizelian, um, and it's 5'11", and it's thinner than any board I've ever owned. Hmm. But he promises that it's got plenty of volume. Dude, you are the new board king. Well, no, I just, you know, I'm going on a surf trip, so I ordered a couple boards. When Throughout the year, we have this show, and you're not going on surf trips. You're still at, like, two new boards a month, it seems. <laughs> I hope your wife doesn't listen to this. Oh, no. <laughs> um, and then I'm reading a book right now on, um, and I just started it, but it's a journey to the Arctic in, like, 1878 or something like that. And it's the the first journey where they, instead of going up through Greenland, they went around through the Bering Strait up through Alaska. And that's the book I'm reading. Very cool. Yeah. Duke and Coop? Don't have either. Okay. I'm sort of, I, I, I was telling my wife, I sort of have a problem calling people out as kook. Um, it doesn't mean I can't, it doesn't mean people don't deserve it at times. And we can, I can, I just don't want to have to come up with one. You know what I mean? If there's an obvious one, I'll come up with it. Yeah. But, um, getting soft in your old age, man, I am. I you created I'm, this concept. This I, is okay your, with, but child. I don't want to just like search and like, I could have, you know, there's a couple of places I could have went, but I, it also like what you talked about a couple of episodes ago, it kind of crosses the line into, is it any, really any of my business? And, right. Oh, by the way, those who throw, you know, stones from glass houses, Yeah. you know, it's, and I'm just more, I, 
I, maybe it's all the yoga I'm doing, but I want to be more uplifting than like calling people. It's just like, that's the easy out. Everybody calls people out. Like there's the kook of the day Instagram, which is actually really funny. It's brilliant. <laughs> and they don't really call people out per se individually. They just take pictures of freaky dudes, but wearing wetsuits at lunch and stuff. But see, that's my whole thing. I was telling my wife, what's wrong with wearing a wetsuit at lunch? It's a kook move, dude. Come but on. Why? Like, but that's your insecurity. They're stoked with it. Like, they're okay. It's with not it. my insecurity. It's that. Why? That's the most uncomfortable. Okay? It's the most uncomfortable thing you could possibly wear to lunch. The only reason you're no, doing no, it is to let no, everybody no, it's know. The most uncomfortable thing you no, could that wear to anybody lunch. could. That's well, objective. Why do they want to be uncomfortable? Because they lunch. want to look like a surfer. They want everybody in there to know that they just went surfing. That's why. I. That's not a kook sure move. That's their motive, dude. It could there's be. no other explanation. Be. That thing will rash you up. They could just be stupid. Which also a kook move <laughs> you know you know it's a kook move come on I mean I would never do it because right. you're right it's like I'd rather be comfortable but <laughs> okay so I get your point right here's this how about this for a kook move this is undeniable I'm at the beach the other day on the weekend it's getting crowded because of course it's June summertime all of a sudden the beaches are five times more packed than they normally are when we go surfing and I went on the weekend but this family is walking across the the walking down the sidewalk after coming out of a liquor store and mom, dad, three or four little kids. One of the kids was probably six years old. He has a ice cream that he just got in the liquor store. Peels the wrapper off, throws the wrapper down on the ground to his side and just starts eating the ice cream. And I'm just like, what? Who throws the wrapper onto the sidewalk? Like, where are you people from, you animals? And so I grabbed the wrapper and just handed it back to him. I was like, hey, here you go, you dropped this. And then the dad, the dad hadn't seen the kid throw the wrapper, but the dad was five paces ahead. And then when I handed it back to the kid, he saw me do that and just kind of like, wasn't sure how to assess the situation. He didn't say anything to me. And I was just like, oh, you know, I don't think I even said your kid dropped it. I just kind of like motioned. And I've done that before in the past too. Um, but it's like, you're an animal who are you raising your kids these way, this way to just peel yeah. the wrapper off an ice cream at the beach and throw discard it. Yeah. Like that's disgusting. Beach, it is Huntington beach. That's Corona right there. Corona by the sea. It's disgusting. Nine Oh nine. That's my kook of the week for sure. That sucks. My Duke, Seth Moniz, not Carlos Muniz. Yeah, Seth. Seth Moniz. Son of Tony. Yes. Uh, full family. Yeah. He, this kid did a monster air rotation. Did you see this on his Instagram? I didn't, no. I didn't think he did. And that's why he's my Duke is this thing flew under the radar. It hit a week and a half ago and nobody's talked about it. It's gnarly. It's like a full, uh, air 360 rotation, like a standard rotation, nothing out of the ordinary in terms of rotation, but it, he over rotates the thing into like a proper spin and a half and it's massive and it's, I mean, it's legit. It's on the South shore of Oahu. So I'll post his Instagram. I'll embed it on surfsplendorpodcast.com. But um, just, you know, Seth Moniz is one of those guys. You know, I always downplay these new young up and coming kids, right? But we heard Peter Townend here when we interviewed him a couple episodes ago say that if there is a Hawaiian kid that could get yeah. on tour and be a force and be a world champion, because mm -hmm. it's hard to come from Hawaii and be a world champion. Yep. A number of factors working against you. Uh, it could be Seth Moniz. I agree. The whole clan is rock solid. The family's rock solid. Yeah. So, and that that helps yeah, well, having it's, that it's, family. It's crucial. Last thought: How's your 21 day yoga program going? It's going good. I'm uh, tomorrow will be 21 days. Have Wednesday. you missed a day? I did miss Saturday. Okay. I was in a golf tournament Saturday, okay. which I won, by the way. Wow. Yeah. 
Wow. Not me, my, me and my partner. Your team. Yeah. Well, good. So yeah. how's the yoga thing going? You're psyched? I'm psyched. I got to do two. I got to do two sessions either today or tomorrow to make it 21 in 21 days. Are you feeling? I feel great. Stronger, better. Yes. I feel strong. I feel ready to go. I feel feel uh, clarity of mind. Yeah, I just feel really good about everything. Or just about my nutrition. It just kind of brings everything into perspective about what I'm taking into my body. It good. just puts me in a good place. It, it does require you to eat more um, healthy healthy, and just be more aware. You, it makes you want to eat more yeah. healthy. I'm noticing that I'm just like, nah, you know what? I'm not going there. If you try to go to a hot yoga class after eating a burrito for breakfast, it's a Passing. nightmare. You pass out. Yeah, it's a nightmare. Yeah. So you have to be cognizant. Yeah. I'm yeah. a big fan. Good. Yoga Tropics in downtown Encinitas and also Yoga 6 studio in Carlsbad that's where my wife and I've been going sweet oh by the way I got a um I got an email from a, a listener and um I want to say he's in Philadelphia or anyway somewhere back east and I apologize his name's Michael Weinstein I might have got his name wrong too. <laughs> <laughs> but, but my point is is that he sent me a thing. He's like, hey, I'm coming to Encinitas with my wife. I'm coming to San Diego. What are some things I should do? So I'm like, hey, man, you should do this, do this. Go check out this, go there. And call me, and we'll go have a cup of coffee. You know, I'd like to meet you. Wow. So hopefully he's going to come out this winter, and um, Mike and I, I know his name's Mike. Mike and I will hook up, and it'll be fun to meet a listener from somewhere else and hang out and just kind of get to know him. I got an email saying that you need to stop pounding on the desk when you're emphasizing really? your points. Yeah. Did you really? I swear. I was wow. going to give you this little padding to like use that. I've heard all sorts of stuff. Like I do this too much. Oh, yeah, yeah. That is super annoying. Yeah, I haven't noticed you, but when I listen to other podcasts, I'll hear people doing that. Yeah. yeah so at any rate. Yeah. All right. Keep well, those emails coming. Yeah. Look, we want, we want to thank you all for listening. We do need to monetize the show. I got another email from a guy who said, Hey, there's a way you can do it through Amazon mm-hmm. that other podcasts do. Oh, yeah. I think Corolla does it. Yeah. You click through, like we could embed an Amazon banner on our sites. And when they click through from our site and make a purchase on Amazon, we just get a percentage of that sale. Oh, it's an affiliate deal. Affiliate. Yeah, exactly. We should look into that. We, you and I need to have a powwow to figure out how to monetize. I think we're ready. We're kind of there. I do too. Um, look, until next time, adios and aloha. Right on. Thank you again for tuning in. Thanks, Scott, for uh, helping host the show. And if you'd like to see all of the things that we discussed, the Dukes, the Kooks, the must-see moments, it's all on our website, as always, surfsplendorpodcast.com. And um, all of our back episodes are located there as well. In your podcast app on your phone, almost, I think, pretty much no matter which one you use, they only archive the past 50 episodes. But we're coming up on 100 episodes, so there's twice as many as that available. And um, you can find all of that on our website, surfsplendorpodcast.com. Everything is archived for free, completely free. So definitely check that out. All that we ask of you is just that you share this show with friends. Um, We're happy to produce the content, but the more people that are listening, you know, the more um, 
interesting guests and big name guests that we can um, attract. So this is an episode of Surf News, but um, we do these every two weeks. And then on the alternating weeks, we do profile pieces. So we had a piece with surfboard shaper Roger Hines last week, and then Randy Rarick prior to that. So um, check that out. Tons and tons of content on our website. And if you feel a need to continue this conversation, you can also do it there in the comments section for each show or on social media at Surf Splendor. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that jazz. All right, that is it for this week of Surf Splendor. We will be back next week with an all new episode. And until then, this is your host, David Scales, signing off and reminding you to shred on. Yeah.